Good morning. Welcome to Warren Community Fellowship. Good to see each one of you here this morning. Psalm uh, 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not one of his benefits. And then it lists seven benefits, that he's forgiven us of our sins, he's healed us of our diseases, he's rescued us from the pit of destruction, he's crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies, and he strengthens us and gives us strength just like the eagle. And so we serve a God who's a great God, and it doesn't matter what life throws our way, he's worthy of our praise. And he's worthy of our praise. And so uh, praise is more than just singing. It's uh, everything that we do, giving our whole lives to Him. But praise also is a wonderful weapon that as we sing, God moves on our behalf. And as we begun in the book of Joshua, and we're going to continue to see throughout the chapters how God moved in the life of the children of Israel and fulfilled His promise for them, He's going to do the same thing for us. So I invite you to stand this morning and let's give God the praise that He deserves. One, two... That silences the enemy. Let praise be a weapon that conquers all anxiety. Let it rise. Let praise arise. We sing your name in the dark and it changes everything. We sing with all we are when we claim your victory. Let it Like 
God that, that gives us everything for life and, and godliness, Lord, help us to set aside the things of the day, the things of the week, and really be in your presence. Holy Spirit, may you open the eyes of our understanding that we can see the throne room of grace, that we can worship Lord Jesus at your feet, and that we can honor you as we lift our hearts in song this morning. And in giving in a, in a bit and in study of your word and application. May we learn what it really means to, to build a memorial for you and to teach it to the next generation. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand and let's continue to worship God through song. Through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance. I believe that you are my fortress, you are my portion, you are my hiding place. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe you are the way. Truth 
as we give our tithes and our offerings. Ushers come forward. God, we thank you for the truth in these songs that we've sung this morning. That we can believe in you. That you are our provider. You are our protector. You are our Savior, our Lord. You are the one who has rescued us. And you've brought us into the promised land through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so we are grateful. We are thankful this morning for all that you've done for us. So we give now as an act of worship, saying thank you for your provision. And as we crown you, our King of Kings and Lord of Lords this morning. Crown him with many crowns. The Lamb upon His throne
you, Jesus, that you are ruling and reigning. And that you are Lord and King over every circumstance in our life. We continue to press into you. What a joy it is to come like this each week. And to come into your presence with other brothers and sisters. And to lift our voices. And to give you the praise to give you the worth to give you the honor that only you are to so thank you for today thank you for bringing us through another week and as we have started our new week out here in your presence we give it to you as well trusting you completely leaning on you, knowing that you will lead, guide, and direct us. Teach us now, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you would, open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4. As we continue to learn lessons from the land of Canaan, as the nation gets ready to go in the land, one of the things that God wanted them to do was to understand that it's important to start off fresh and anew and, and to remember. There's a danger in the Christian journey of forgetting the things that God has done. Winston Churchill once said, A nation that forgets its past has no future. And that is so true. If we forget the things that, that God has done and how God has brought us to this place of deliverance, we really lose sight of the future of what God has for us. And one of the ways that God has afforded to us the, the ability to remember is by establishing uh, memorials. Now, there's a difference between a memorial and a monument. You all know what the difference is? A, a memorial is something that is set up, it's a structure or, or a thing that is, that is given, it's a tangible thing that reminds of a significant event that is taking place. It's built to remember that event and tell the story of that event, where a monument is a structure or something that's built for a person, to, to honor that person for what that person has done. So, where a monument focuses more on, on people or those significant people, memorials are to tell a story within that. And memorials are set by the present generation that experienced that event with the intention of teaching a future generation what happened with that event. The, there's a danger in that when we start to worship the monuments, though. When we look at the Bible, there's a, a number of different ways. And as God would show up and do amazing things for the nation of Israel, He would establish multiple memorials within that. And I, I got to thinking about all of those. These are some memorials of faith that God establishes in Scripture. For example, in Exodus 3.15, God establishes His name as a memorial. 
In Exodus 12:14, God establishes special feasts, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He says, as often as you do, this is a memorial. He would establish emblems on the shoulder pieces of the priests in Exodus 28:12. As a memorial, the high priest would wear the names of Israel, the tribes of Israel on his shoulder as a memorial. Mount Sinai, at the giving of the law, there were pillars that were set up as a memorial within that. In uh, 1 Samuel, Samuel sets up what's called an Ebenezer stone. Now, you know, for those of you that are into hymns, there's always, I'm going to set up an Ebenezer. I always wonder, what in the world is an Ebenezer? Well, Ebenezer means God is help. And so Samuel would set up a stone to remind people that God is helping that that presence that's there. Jacob in Genesis 31 would set up a stone of presence. But as I said, these are, these are memorials that were set up, and they were set up specifically so when you came to the memorial, the more, memorial would trigger the memory and you would be able to teach from that memorial what God had done. What God prohibited was the setting up of monuments. Now, we have a lot of different things that start out as a memorial but become a monument, and that monument becomes worship, and God says, don't worship monuments. In fact, it's against His law. Leviticus 26.1, it says this, You shall not make for yourself idols, nor shall you set up for yourself an image or a sacred pillar, You shall place a, you, nor shall you place a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. We've got to be careful that what is to be a memorial doesn't become a mo- monument which ends up becoming an idol. That's true in our world today because there's a lot of things that were set up as to be memorials to tell the story that we end up worshiping more than God. And that's, that's something that we have to push back on. And I got to thinking about this. Do we have a memorial today that the church has? That, that we practice. Usually first of the month. What is it? The Lord's Supper. Jesus established the Lord's Supper as a memorial. In, and Paul would write in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 26 as he was teaching the church at Corinth how to, to uh, get back into a right place of worship. He says this, For I received from the Lord... That which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread and went, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. He said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took up the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and as often as you drink it, what? Remember me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Till he comes. We don't worship communion. We practice communion because communion tells a story. It brings us back as a memorial to remind us of what Jesus has done. And I love the fact that God honors memorials and wants us to have these memorials, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of teaching the next generation. 
to be able to perpetuate the story and the account of God's power and His presence within the church. To refresh the memory. Now, in our account here in Joshua, God's leading the people out of the wilderness. He's taken them out of the Acacia Grove and, and bringing them into the Promised Land. They're at the edge of the water, and we talked about them bringing, coming to that place where there was going to be a parting of the water. And one of the challenges is that is, the nation has come to the edge of the Jordan River for the second time, the first time when they got there, they forgot all that God had done. And I got to thinking about how easy is it for us to forget what God's done. In a short period of time, that nation had forgotten the miracles that God had done when they walked to the edge of the Jordan. And they said, we can't go in because there's giants in the land. They forgot. I was talking with somebody this last week about a bunch of significant events that had happened in their life, and God's been showing up in a very tangible way. And, and, and this individual comes up to me, and we were at fair, and we were talking, and, and says, you're not going to believe what God did. And I said, yeah, I will. What? Yeah, and, and proceeded to tell me how you know they expected one thing, and God went over and above and provided three times the amount of what they needed. And this has been going on and on and on in this, what began as a tragedy is now becoming a, a, a constant effect of miracles and God showing up. And I said, I would encourage you, you need to journal all of this. You need to write it all down step by step. And so that you can have a great testimony of what God is doing, step by step. Because it's so easy for us to forget the condition of tragedy and the process of faith and then how God shows up for that testimony of faith. Not just for you, but for the next generation. You can tell your kids, your grandkids, or the things that, that when somebody's going through this, let me tell you about how God showed up for me within this. And creating that memorial that is there God had parted the Red Sea for Israel to go into the Promised Land. Now they're at the Jordan and God is going to stop the, the waters of the Jordan from flowing. Israel will cross over. And Joshua chapter 4 really is a slow walk of what I would say is Joshua's journal of the miracles that God has done to get them into that land as Joshua is recording these events. So we're looking at Joshua's journal of the miracles that God has done. So we're going to read through chapter 4. I'll ask you to stand as we read it. And we'll see how, how Joshua tells us about setting up their memorial. In Joshua 4, verse 1, it says, And when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourself twelve men from, people, from the people, one man, from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm. Carry them over with you and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. And so Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the, tribe, the sons of the Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross again 
to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you, so that when your children ask later, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you will say to them, Because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed the Jordan, and when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and so the stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Well, thus the sons of Israel did as Joshua commanded, took up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, just as the Lord spoke to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. And they carried them over with them to the lodging place and put them down there. And then Joshua set up twelve stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the feet of the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. And they are there to this day. For the priests who carried the ark were standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything was completed that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed. And when all the people had finished crossing the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed before the people, sons of Reuben, sons of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh crossed over the battle array before the sons of Israel, just as Moses had spoken to them, about 40,000 equipped for war, crossed for battle before the, Lord, uh, before the Lord to the desert place of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel, and so they revered him just as they revered Moses all the days of his life. And now the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests who carry the ark of the testimony that they come up from the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up from the Jordan. And it came about when the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord had come up from the middle of the Jordan and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up to the dry land that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and went over all its banks as before. And now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth of the first of the month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. These twelve sto- those twelve stones which they had taken from Jordan Joshua set up in Gilgal, and he said to the sons of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he had dried up before us until we had crossed that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. May God bless the reading of His Word. You be seated. So what do we learn in these lessons of Canaan? The first thing is, create a memorial. Create a memorial of all the things that God has, has done for you. Within this, and it's a spiritual memorial. It's a spiritual memorial of what God has done in your life. You think about these things and say, God, what, what are you doing and how are you doing it? Joshua was the leader and he was leading the people back across. And in our narrative that we read through, it's said multiple times of what happened. Why? Because whenever something's repeated in Scripture, pay attention. Why? Because we're slow to learn. Well, All the people were coming across, and mind you, 
it was at flood stage and all the people are coming across. The priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan River. It stopped up all the way to Adam and they're standing on dry land. They're all coming across. Now there was 12 men that, that Joshua had picked in chapter 3, verse 12. And he says, I want you to pick one guy from each tribe. No more instruction. Just be ready. Within this, they come across in this and they have all the people that are crossing over. Now we've got these 12 guys on the other side. And I thought, man, how God works. How many spies went to the edge of the Jordan the first time to go into the land? How many were there? There were 12. 12 spies went into the land and said, we can't do this. Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that came back with a good report. They go out, spend 40 more years. They send two spies into Jericho, meet with Rahab, said, yeah, we can do this. Come back. And now we have 12 again. The 12 are not saying, can we do this? The 12 are going to set up a memorial saying, yes, we're going to do this. God is reestablishing these tribes as participating in this, this event that is there, each tribe having a hand in this. And in verses 4 through 8, we see that God is giving significance to this memorial within this. And he's described, Joshua calls them out, the ones that were appointed, and knows that they're going to pick up these stones in this and gives the significance of this. And he says, this is what you're going to do. You've already gone over. Now go back to the middle of the river. Now, you've got to put yourself in, in, in the picture of this. The Jordan River was at flood stage. As they watched it at flood stage, the priests took the Ark of the Covenant when their feet went into the water of the edge. The water stopped all the way back up to Adam, the city of Adam. Then they go in the middle and they stand there and they stand and they stand. And all of the nation is crossing over on dry land. They're all across. But the Ark, with the, the priests are standing in, still in the middle. And Joshua says, okay, you twelve, where you at? We're right here. Go back in the middle. What? We made it through. I don't want to go back. Go back in the middle. And each one of you, go shoulder a stone from the place where the priests are standing. Now, logic says, why would I go back in the middle of a place that, where waters have been held back? Can I get a stone from the edge? I'm right here. There's good stones right here. Why do I need a stone from there? No, you need a stone from there. Not from the edge of the Jordan, but from the middle, the place where the priests were standing. It's important to understand that the, the meaning of the memorial was to show how God was first in, stopped the water, and God held it until everybody was out. And God would be the last out represented by the ark. And those stones had to come from that place, where the central place where that, that miracle was there. It wouldn't have any meaning if you just pick up any old stone. It was, it was the stone that needed to come from that spot to have that special meaning. 
And you're going to carry that stone to the place where you first camp at Gilgal, which we'll get to in a moment. Each tribe representative was going to go and they were going to pull up a stone out of the dry ground, not mud, out of the dry ground, and they were going to put this stone, and they weren't small stones. Can I just go get a little pebble, a little rock? No. Stone. Big stone within this. And we see that that God was building a memorial that would remind people. In Exodus chapter 24, verse 4, we read, Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He crossed, arose early in the morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel. After the giving of the law, Moses had set up twelve pillars. Why? Because everybody that would come by Mount Sinai would look at those pillars and go, that's kind of odd. What are those twelve pillars for? This is the place where God established His, His law. His work within this. There would be also memorials that would be set up at Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim. There would be a memorial set up over the the family of Achan who sinned against God. Memorials can remind us of things that happened that are good, but also things that happened that were bad that we don't want to do again within this. Memorials are used to teach the future generation within this. One of the things that's repeated twice in our text is this. You set up the memorial so that when your children see the memorial, they ask you and say, what does this memorial mean to you? Mean to you. That means you have to be personally invested in the memorial. You have to take on that personal meaning to know what that that memorial means means and and it should never be forgotten what does this memorial mean to you the miracle of god that he did in your life is special to you and you can pass that that message on to your kids and to your grandkids within that we need to be able to do that we need to understand that that we should never forget the things that god is doing Every one of you that have accepted Jesus Christ as a Lord, as your Lord and Savior, you have a testimony. Do you know that your testimony is a memorial of the great works of God? Can you and are you prepared to share your story to your kids and your grandkids? You should. You should be able to. And, and so I want to challenge you. Have you? Have you sat down with your kids and your grandkids and shared your testimony of how you came to faith in Christ? You should. You should rehearse this. Because it talks about the the great significance of, of God in your life. And within this, to bring the people together. You need to be able to tell the story. Because if you don't tell the story, you don't tell the message... The next generation is not going to know God. They're not going to know the power of God. When we come to communion, it should have deep meaning for you. And then pass it on to this next generation. You need to be able to know the story and tell the story because if you don't know the story and if you don't tell the story, 
the story becomes forgotten. Consider our nation. How much have we forgotten as a nation? A lot. I want to share with you a video clip. This video clip is from the movie Remember the Titans. It's called Gettysburg. Anybody know what this place is? It's Gettysburg. This is where they fought the battle of Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field. Fighting the same fight that we're still fighting amongst ourselves today. This green field right here, painted red. Bubbling with blood, young boy, smoke, and hot lead going right through their bodies. Listen to their souls, man. Feel my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. It's a powerful clip. If you've seen the movie, it's an amazing clip because it tells a story about a coach that's trying to take a, a team that's, that's very divided, fighting racial battles and, and not being able to come together because they were living in a time, in a time like ours, where a country has forgotten its roots. How much more dangerous is it 
for Christians, for Christ followers, to forget our roots. Memorials bring us back to the meaning, to the things that where God has done. And Coach Boone decided to take his boys to a memorial so that they would understand the power of a life and how special it is. One of the things that is also powerful is memorials that remind us of the Holocaust. Do you know the phrase that is at the Holocaust? A time when Hitler tried to exterminate all the Jews. And above the memorial in multiple languages is a sign that says, never again. When we go to Israel next year, and I encourage you to consider going with us, you'll see different memorials that are throughout the land. We'll see the Valley of Tears where the tank battle was fought. Those shot up tanks are sitting there today. Why? As a memorial, never again. When you ascend into the city of Jerusalem and you come up, down through the southern side highway. There are tanks all along the highway. I asked our guide, why don't they remove these things? And he said, because we want to teach the next generation never again. Never again. Memorials are the way for us to be able to grasp and remember the power of God and the presence of God in doing things and reminds us of the story. But it also is the means and method by which we teach the next generation. Does our next generation, our young people, do they need to know God? Are we failing to teach them? Absolutely we are. Winston Churchill, again, another quote, says, Those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And we're repeating it. And the church is, it needs to step up. God commanded His people in Deuteronomy 6, 4-7, through Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and talk with them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. We think about this challenge, this command of God. Whose job is it to teach children? It is your job as a parent. We have become a society that has advocated responsibility of teaching our children to public education. I love our public school teachers. I think that they are doing a tremendous job, especially the Christian ones that are in there. But they are supports. Parents, grandparents, it is your job to teach kids. It is your job to teach them. It is your job to, to shape their minds and to shape their hearts and to instill the Word of God. And notice the command, regularly and consistently express the truths of God, of loving God. In every aspect of your life. 
You know, we have children's ministry where the kids come here on Sunday morning, and we have youth group where they meet on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And, and being a children's pastor and a youth pastor, so many times parents would say, my kid's broken, will you fix him? Well, we'll help you. But parents, grandparents, it is your job to teach. It is your job to teach and to instruct them 24-7. You are your child's best teacher within this. But it doesn't happen unless the Word of God is in your heart. The memorial has to have power in your life first. In Exodus 12, 26, 27, it says, When your children say to you, What does this right mean to you? You shall say, It's a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the house of the sons of Israel in Egypt and smote the Egyptians, but He spared not our homes. And the people bowed in worship. It's interesting to me because both questions say, when the children see this or see you worshiping, they ask you, what does this mean to you? What does that tell me? That tells me that our kids need to see their parents worshiping. When you read the Bible, are you reading the Bible in a way that your kids are watching you read the Bible? When you, when you worship, are you, in a, are you living in a way where they watch you? Where they see you? Because in both contexts, it is the kids seeing the parents doing something and then asking them about the thing that they're doing. And that's that practice of godliness. Are we living that way? Or are we compartmentalizing our faith? We shouldn't. It's a 24-7. It's a spiritual, personal reflection. How do I know that? Because you know what Joshua did? He told the guys, you go get 12 stones. Now picture this in your mind. you got the ark sitting in the middle of the river. you got the guys pulling up stones. And while they're pulling up stones and carrying them on their shoulder and getting ready to go, you know what Joshua's doing at 80 plus years of age? He's building his own monument in the middle of the river. God didn't tell him to do that. He did it. Why did he do it? Because it was his personal reflection. It was his personal monument that he put in there. The water would come back, but it would be there. And as the spiritual leader, he's not asking his people to do anything that he's not doing. And he personalizes it within this. And this, this spiritual memorial that is there, note the text says... It will stay in the river and exist in the river. Everybody will know it will be there. What does communion mean to you? What does worship mean to you? What does your spiritual journey mean to you? Live your testimony at home that it displays the power of God in your life. Teach your children. Well, as the text continues in verses 10 to 14... One of the things that I think that's interesting, it says the priest carried the ark and they were standing in the middle of the Jordan and everyone was complete. They came out. So when it was all done, they all came out of the water within that. But in verse 12, it says the sons of Reuben and Gad and half of Manasseh came out. Now, if you remember all the way back, they had made Manasseh, Gad, and, uh, uh, Gad Reuben and half of Manasseh 
all had said to Moses, we like this side of the Jordan. We don't want to come into the land with you. We're good here. Moses said, if you stay here, if you stay here and you want to stay in that area, you still got to fight. Why? All 12 tribes would go into the land. So nine and a half the tribes come across and then just the warriors from those two and a half tribes would come over. The text tells us that it was 40,000 just from these two and a half tribes. It's a significant number that, that we see within this. There's 40,000 that is there. Meanwhile, the ark was first in, last out. I want to share with you a couple of psalms because I think it's important to know that God was very present. In Psalm 34, 7, it says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and rescues them. Psalm 125, 2 says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people. 40,000 warriors cross. So that's a large number. Do you know how many, how many warriors there were in the Israeli army? Numbers tells us when they came out of Egypt, in uh, Numbers chapter 146, it tells us that at that time when they came out of Egypt, they numbered 603,550 warriors. The Israeli army was 603,550 as they come into the land. Is that enough people to fight? Absolutely. Why? Because God was with them. And they all cross the land and they see this miracle. And all of those warriors and all those people as they cross the land, they're walking through the miracle. When you walk through a miracle, when you walk through the power of God, when you walk through that, remember that. And teach it to your kids. Every time, journal it. Write it down. Share with them the importance. When God does a healing, when God does a provision, whenever God does something, share it with them, please. Because we have a generation that's dying for lack of knowledge. They need to be taught. They need to be told. Joshua goes on in verses 15 to 24 and he reiterates the same message that he had given them before based off of God's command. In verse 15 it says this, And now the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests to come up out of the ark. So within this, Joshua, again, he's slow walking this, but he narrates it's God's command to do all of this, to come out of the Jordan within this. But he adds a little bit different. You know what's embedded in this last section? It's called the Passover narrative. Does God do anything by chance? Does he go, ah, this looks like a good day? No. The day that Israel crossed the Jordan was the 10th of Nisan. Now, Bible scholars, what is the 10th of Nisan? Do you remember? It was a significant day in Jewish history. It's the day that the Passover lamb was to be selected. And then on the 14th of Nisan would be the day of Passover. God brought the nation across the Jordan on the day of the Passover lamb would be selected in preparation for the Passover. Why? Because the Passover is another memorial for the nation of Israel. This new generation is going to receive this bookend of miracles because 
as young children, they experienced the Red Sea parting. Now as adults, they're experiencing the Jordan crossing. And their first celebration when they get into the land is going to be what? The Passover. It's going to be an amazing time. And what are they going to do? They're going to rehearse the meaning of the Passover. Why? Because the next generation needed to see the power and the presence of God in totality. These older people, they're going into the land, fine. But what about the young people that would live in the land? They needed to understand what the Passover meant. They needed to understand what the power of God was all about. And so we see how God had done this first miracle and a second miracle. And then they go to this place called Gilgal. We really don't know for sure where Gilgal is. Archaeologists have five different locations that are, that are probably the first camp. There's a uh, map that I have that shows you that's in there. Camp Gilgal was directly across from Jericho, but in the upper left-hand corner you'll see Tel Gilgal, which is what is thought to be the old city, and then modern Gilgal that is up there. We know that they were at Camp Gilgal. That is there. What's interesting about Gilgal, in all five locations that they're, they're arguing about is like which one is the real one. All five locations are shaped, if I can have the next pick, are shaped like a foot. Now that's kind of weird, isn't it? Not really. Why? What was the promise that God gave to Abraham? I will give you the land everywhere your foot will step. And so they set up camp like a foot. And you can see that there was the toes of the foot, the altar, there was a tabernacle, the heel, the tower, and then Jericho was just off into the distance. This is where the Camp Gilgal is the closest. Some people say, Carrie, why do you go to Israel so much? Do you know why I go to Israel? So that you will see the memorials that God has set. And that you could hear the story in real time and in real person. And again, I encourage you, Join us with this trip. We're going into March. If not, go. Because the Bible comes alive and speaks when you are standing at the memorial and at that site. Gilgal was the first of four holy cities in the land. You'd have Gilgal, Shiloh, Shechem, finally Jerusalem. You say, great, it's a holy city. We're there, right? No. Here's what happens when you forget. And they had the memorial that was there. These stones, they were placed at that camp. They were there. You know what happens if you forget the meaning of the memorial? I'll read it to you. It's found in Hosea. Hosea chapter 9, verse 15 says this. All their evil at Gilgal. Indeed, I came to hate them there. Because of the wickedness of their deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebels. That's God speaking through the prophet Hosea. Why? Because they stopped teaching the meaning of the memorial and Gilgal became a highly idolatrous city. Idolatry came in. What happens... In our Christian faith, if we stop teaching the meaning behind these things. Well, I can tell you this. What happened to Christmas? What happened to Easter? 
What happened to All Saints Day? When Christian families stopped teaching the meaning behind these memorial events, paganism comes in. I can tell you this. If you don't teach your kids the truths about God's Word and what God's Word means, somebody else will. If you don't teach them, the world will teach them. And what is the world going to teach them? If you don't teach your kids to love God, the world will teach your kids to hate God. Is that happening in our world today? Absolutely. I can't impress upon you enough the need to be your kids' teachers, to be your grandkids' teachers, to set up a memorial. When God does something significant, note it, journal it, write it down so that you could express the power of God and the presence of God in light of other people. I know this morning has been just a heavy message, but we have a world that's falling apart because we are not teaching our kids. We need to. VBS was great. 42 decisions. Letters went home encouraging them to come. Talk with your kids. Talk with the neighborhood kids. Encourage them and say, hey, look it. Let me tell you about some of the things that God's done in my life. But if you forget the works of God in your life, you have no story to tell. My encouragement to you is this. Tell the story. This next week, we're going to be at family camp. Why do we do family camp? Because we want to spend time as families teaching the kids and teaching them that they don't have to be from the world, look like the world, or learn from the world. We're going to teach them about Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you, God, that that you have given us these memorials. Everything in the Old Testament reminds us of your power, your greatness. The land of Israel, one large memorial of your gracious work. God, you've given us communion. The ability to remember you, Lord Jesus. To be able to remember what you've done for us. God, You've given to us a heart where Your Word is written. That we can be living memorials. The, the works that You do in our lives today, may we celebrate these meaning, the meaning of these memorials so that everyone would see. God, I thank You for the fact that in Joshua, You said that these memorials were given so the world would see. May that be true for us. And may we remember these mighty works that You've done and teach the next generation. As we close our time, Holy Spirit, may you work in our hearts. Remind us of the story that we can share it with others. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I won't forget the wonders of how you brought deliverance, the exodus of my heart. You found me, you freed me. Hallelujah, you have torn
Friday is a sign that you are with me. The fire by night is a guiding light to my feet. You found me, you freed me, held back the waters from my release. Oh, Yahweh, you're the about all that you've done, may we continue to speak of all that you've done. That our testimony would impact the lives of our kids and the next generation. That, Lord, if you would, Terry, and that your word would go out and lives would be radically changed through the generations to come. Father, the world needs to know your power and your presence. You've left us as your witness to declare that truth. May we do so with boldness, with confidence. But God, I also know that it has to be written in our hearts first. So may we surrender ourselves to you and worship you from the depths of our being. We praise you and we thank you for all that you're doing. And we honor you in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen and praise Amen. Jesus. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. 
Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.